This is an audio version of the 24th annual DICE Awards Roundtable Series. To watch the video of this episode, please visit youtube.com slash official AIAS. Brought to you by the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, this is the award celebration by game makers for game makers, honoring the games that connect players around the globe. No matter where we come from or what our interests, video games bring us together. We gather here to honor our fellow creators and the very best of interactive entertainment. Welcome to the 24th Annual DICE Awards. Welcome to this conversation with the nominees in the Immersive Reality Technical Achievement category. This is the 24th Annual DICE Awards. These nominees have pushed the boundaries in a rapidly evolving category, and we want to hear the story directly from the source. But before we do that and ask them how they did it, uh, let's get into some introductions. Um, from Half-Life Alex, we have Kerry Davis. How are you doing, Kerry? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Give the folks a little bit uh, of information about you and, and, and what you've done. Uh, I'm a game programmer at Valve. Uh, I've been with the company for 16 years. So I've been there just since the end of Half-Life 2. And uh, Half-Life Alex was really exciting because it was actually the first Half-Life game that I got to ship at Valve. Uh, so I, I finally got to put my fingerprints on a little bit of the Half-Life universe. That's fantastic. Uh, for Maricart Live, we have Nate Bildorf. How are you doing, Nate? I'm doing great. Thank you. Awesome. Give the folks at home a little bit of info about yourself as well. Uh, I am the Senior Vice President of Product Development and Publishing at Nintendo of America. I've um, been working there for 20 years, uh, and I'm here representing really a large team, not only the, uh, the members of the team uh, in Japan who worked on this product, but also uh, the, the members of Villain Studios. And from Museum of Other Realities, we have Robin Setham. How are you doing, Robin? Doing well, thanks. Uh, yeah, I'm the, the CEO of the Museum of Other Realities. Uh, one half of the founding team, the other half is Colin Northway. Uh, I was an industrial designer before this, but uh, yeah, we're, we're a small team of around six people, uh, all very talented, and I'm really happy to be able to represent them uh, among such luminaries today. Thank you so much for, for being here and hanging out with us today. Uh, from Paper Beast, you have Eric Chai. How are you doing? Fine, thank you. Good. Give the folks at home a little bit of info about yourself as well. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm a game, the game designer uh, of Paper Beast and also the president of Pixel Reef, which is the company that uh, um, supports uh, uh, Paper Beast. And we are a team of uh, 12 people. And uh, I've been uh, creating game uh, since. Uh, almost uh, 30 years now. Wow. And uh, I've created games like Another World, uh, Heart of Darkness, From Dust. And uh, so I, I'm very happy to be here with you. Fantastic, fantastic. And rounding out our group from Tempest, we have Samantha Gorman. How are you doing, Samantha? I'm doing well, thank you. I am the co-lead of Studio Tender Claws with Danny Canazaro. We're about 15 people. And we've done uh, previous VR games like Virtual Virtual Reality and The Under Presents. And I am the primary narrative lead and director. So I work with a lot of the actors. Thank you all so much for being here and, and, and hanging out with us here at the DICE Awards. Uh, excited to jump into the conversation. And again, you know, this is going to be super cool because it's, I, I love IR stuff. I love being able to talk to folks who are working in this, in this particular field. Um, what are some of your favorite kind of aspects of developing in VR? I'm sorry, in IR. Uh, how has your creative process evolved most when comparing it to a kind of a traditional 
game. Um, I kind of want to start off with you, Samantha, on that conversation. Uh, what's what's been the what's been the the changes that you've had to kind of go through to 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 bridge that gap between you know the traditional game and, and the spaces in the IR space? Um, yeah, actually, in my case, it's uh, particularly interesting because I was working in VR since two thousand and two in a sort of um, mm-hmm. visualization lab called the Cave. So I very much actually think from the ground up in terms of developing for the you know spatial uh, arena of VR and design for um, multiple dimensions and sort of coming from a theater background, it's also this idea of like the mise and scene and staging. Mm. Um, so very much we actually were VR first and now we're actually also working on um, 2D games as well. That's that's fantastic. I you know Temp- Tempest definitely shows that off in, in 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 lots of different ways with you know thinking about it from from the, the VR ex- perspective first. Um, Paper Beast is also in that space as well, Eric. I, I feel like you you have a very 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 specific kind of way that you've kind of tackled uh, the game that you've made. What what has been some of the the conversations that you've all had uh, in terms of you know comparing the game that you've done to a traditional one? Um. Well, I, I I worked on two uh, two game. Well, one one was not a game; it was a volcanic simulation, and the second one was a paper beast. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I love with VR is the the interaction with a, a physics system, because um, um, there is a, something very believable in VR: the feeling of the space. And and be able to uh, touch things, so um, I don't know how much I should go in the simulation stuff or not, but uh, it's really uh, something that uh, I wanted to put in highlight in a paper beast, and especially about the wildlife and how. Uh, the player can be connected to the wildlife and uh, and play with uh, simulated wildlife. That's that's fantastic. It, it it definitely comes through in the way that you interact with everything and the way you kind of, you know, the way that the animals move and and, and kind of animate in that way. It, it definitely does come through very much so that you're have been very thoughtful about the way that that works in that space. Um, I'm really curious to hear about your thoughts from this uh, on about this, Robin. Uh, because of the way your experience works and you kind of having that kind of slow, methodical way that you kind of have built the world, what are your thoughts about, you know, the creative process when you were thinking about doing this project? Well, uh, as you say, it's been extremely iterative. And I mean, I think one of the most important things that we do is just work really closely with all the creators we showcase. So it's been a kind of a journey of of figuring out how to best showcase and interact with uh, the sort of limitless new types of content that are that are always being uh, created, uh, and that's that's been I think probably the one of the biggest challenges, but also the the biggest draw for me is just being able to to work with such a diverse um, cast of of creators and and also types of media. Yeah, it's 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 beautiful the way you've tackled that, and, I, and it, it does kind of come through very much so that the the connection between you know you all from the team and the the folks you've kind of showcased within the game 
that those conversations have happened often and that you're having a lot of the, the kind of, you know, how do we best show this off in the way that kind of gives the work the, the best light, which, I, which I've loved. Um, for Carrie and Nate, you know, I think the games that you both have made have the kind of most direct, you know, connection or analog to the kind of more traditional game space in, in, in some of the things you've done with Mario Kart and Half-Life Alex. I'm curious to hear your thoughts about what that process looks like as well. Um, you know, kind of adding this, uh, making this experience very, very singular and, and different compared to what a kind of traditional version of it might have been. Um, Nate, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts about this as well. Well, yeah, I, I think everybody's probably played a, a Mario Kart game in their life. <laughs> um, and I, I certainly have put a lot of hours in myself. And honestly, the I think the biggest challenge for these, the teams was to make driving a remote control car as fun as, as driving a, uh, you know, a video game car. Um, I was, I mean, I played with remote, remote control cars when I was a kid and I would frequently just crash them <laughs> and having an actual race on them was, was, you know, a real challenge. And so, um, the ability of the teams to put in mixed reality elements to really bring that experience to life, a video game experience to life in a very mundane setting, you know, in your, in your kitchen or wherever you set it up. Uh, I think was the the focus from the start, and uh, I think they just did a fantastic job of pulling it off. Yeah, yeah. Carrie, Carrie, how's the uh, the process evolved for you as well in in terms of Half Life Alex? Yeah, I was uh, knowing that we were making another Half Life game that people had been waiting for for some time. Uh, we were constantly asking ourselves, does this need to be in VR? Why are we making this a VR game? What makes it special? Uh, to be in VR. So, so we were continually focusing on how to make the platform uh, suitable for the game and how to make the game something that you could only experience in VR. So I think the platform was really great for driving a lot of creative decisions that, uh, you know, they've been making first person shooters on flat screen games for years and mm -hmm. sort of having new challenges to solve really gets the, the team, you know, creatively energized, which I think shows in the final product. Yeah, it, it it definitely does come through in 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 ways where, having played it, you're just like, I don't know if this would have worked any other way, and it, and it feels like those those connective tissues are are absolutely there, and it makes me think a lot about Samantha and in, in, in your experience where, you know, I as a big fan of you know things like Sleep No More and and experiences like that, having gone and and, and experienced that in real life and, and had a blast with it. You know, Tempest is described as this kind of theater event in VR. And, and, and what can you kind of tell us about the design process around that and, and how you kind of be able to kind of bring players together and guide them in such an open experience? And, you know, how, how should we think about this game in that way? Um, yeah, actually, the thing you allude to in sort of gently nudging players for connection and developing intimacy with, you know, oh. an anonymous multiplayer um, and with other actors is actually one of the most important design principles and pillars for us. Um, the whole process actually was based on two years of kind of trial and error um, and working through the under presents with uh, Pie Hole, which is a New York based sort of um, experiential theater troupe. So there was in the design from the ground up, everything from the actor interface to how to actually think about um, modeling immersive theater behavior and anonymous multiplayer was actually baked into kind of the DNA of the experience. Um, and there were a lot of learnings from working with the actors live over the year so that when we got to Tempest, we kind of had this idea of how you assign roles and how you make players feel like they're being seen 
and they have identities, you know, even within their anonymous, you know, roles and that they're part of a community all working towards like staging a, a greater whole. So I think, you know, that was um, important for us. And in VR, you know, the element of physicality and mm. the element of sort of being present with each other, I think is something that is really unique to the medium and, and how we were able to use it. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, you you you've nailed that part. <laughs> that part that part is is, is brilliant. Um, I, I'm kind of thinking about it from uh, uh, all of yours perspective, uh, kind of working in this space. Carrie kind of talked about it a little bit about you know certain things working very very well in VR and kind of being really you know connected to that experience in that way. When you are Thinking about the games in, in terms of not only the process of building it out and, and, and specking it out and trying to figure out from a conceptual standpoint, you know, what was going to work uh, in that way. Who else kind of had that experience where you had that kind of aha moment in the kind of conceptual phase of like, oh, this particular part of the game is going to work really well in this medium. You know, who who had that kind of like aha moment when when it kind of came to, to, to getting it in that space? Anybody can take that. Anyone can jump in on that one. I think, uh, you know, one of the, the biggest things um, that clicked was uh, really a very simple thing, which is that the, the perspective shift of suddenly having a camera at ground level um, was really sort of uh, something that just changed things because, uh, you know, it's very, very simple, of course, you know, it's, it's your, your kitchen floor, you've seen it a zillion times, but when you're driving around on it and, you know, the family dog comes rolling in and, and decides to stomp across the course, that certainly changes things. And I think, um, you know, that sort of experience meshed with the, the mixed reality elements that the team was working on. Um, really, uh, it just, we could tell that there was gonna be something very, very special about that and something very, very unique for everybody who played it. So that was, that was our experience. Yeah, Robin, looked like you wanted to chime in as well. Uh, yeah, I, sorry, there's a little bit of noise in the background right now, but um, so uh, originally, we didn't actually intend for the more to be multiplayer and we didn't intend for it to feature art. Um, it was going to be a collection of like four or five executables that we would release quarterly. Um, but what happened is the very first one we ever did, we uh, included a, a friend's uh, multiplayer uh, SDK, uh, normal. Uh, and we kind of did it on a whim at the last minute. And so then we had these four doors uh, that went to four experiences and they were just in a white room. So we were like, well, maybe we should put something in here. We got like the three pieces of tilt brush art we could find at the time. Uh, and we put them in this room and, and it was networked. Uh, and it's funnily enough, it turned out that people liked standing outside the doors with their friends uh, amidst the art uh, as much or more than they liked the experiences. And so I guess that insight kind of uh, led us down the, the path we are uh, walking now. Um, but that wouldn't have happened if we hadn't just tried it, uh, you know, at the last minute and, and, and had that sort of result. So it was an interesting insight for us. Was it, was it the kind of understanding around, you know, what people like when they go to a museum in, in the physical realm? Uh, or, or, you know, what was the kind of biggest hurdle that you had to kind of, or most difficult part of kind of making sure that that curating an online virtual museum was, was interesting or fun for the, for the player or, you know, that they would have a good time in that experience. Well, I think we're we're really fortunate in that we've been able to be really iterative. But I think time and again we found that our first, and I think this happens a lot in VR, but 
but our first sort of idea turns out to be totally wrong or backwards. And it's only <laughs> in, in trying it that you realize that. Um, but yeah, it's pretty much it's pretty much trial and error. But but if we hadn't had those trials and those errors, then you know we'd be in a totally different place. It's just part of the process that I really enjoy, even if there is uh, you know some challenge there. Try and try again, huh? That's that's the that's the way to make it work, huh? I, I mean, it's 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 really cool to see that that was a part of the you know of course it's a part of most of the kind of game development process, but having that extra wrinkle uh, kind of be in the space is is even more interesting to see how you tackled that. Um, Eric, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts as well about, you know, how it was, you know, coming up and conceiving the the ideas around Paper Beast and and, and this mind-bending reality with so many kind of unexpected turns and, and systems and all those ways you've kind of built that together. I'd love to hear more thoughts around that as well. Yeah, that's, this game is absolutely crazy of <laughs> what we start uh, from, because, um, the question of this game is partly improvisational, mm. and uh, the the, uh, the core idea was to create a game about wildlife and uh, with a physical simulation. But there was not yet this idea of paper and and data, and uh, but as much as we create the simu simulation system. Um, we decided to use a, a paper look for the creature because uh, in VR, uh, there is uh, some uh, performance issue that you have uh, to take, uh, you have really to take care of this. And, um, and because all the creatures are, are made of uh, bones and it was very interesting to have um, an origami look for each leg and each part of the neck and the head, etc. And that idea of having a creature made of paper collide with another idea. You know, you have sometimes many ideas in your head and, and suddenly it crystallizes into something. And one of the ideas was um, the thematic of the dat data. And suddenly, oh, yes. Okay, we can speak about wildlife, but in a world that emerged from the data. So we will be on the edge of the artificial and the natural. And it's all the craziness, craziness of this game is uh, exactly on, on this edge. And we, we, it leads us to create a very surrealistic uh, world and um, once the system were uh, almost ready, we, we, we worked on the first level. And uh, then uh, we continue level after level uh, to create the, the game. And it brings us a lot of um, consistency and coherence uh, about the, the creation of the um, of a universe, mm. because yeah, and uh, the, the, the important uh, thing uh, I should uh, say about the this world because everything is made of physics. Right. The ground uh, can uh, be shaped, and the water flows, and there is the wind, and the creature can be uh, blown away by the wind. They can uh, resist. They can slip over the ground, and 
the, the physics, we use it not only for the creature, but also to uh, bring very uh, surrealistic moment, like a storm of paper, a bridge in the sky with letter uh, flow, flowing, and um, and the, the this universe has a logic, and the juice of the physics uh, help us to to. Um, Sorry, my, my English is over. No, it's, it's, it's totally fine. Uh, it glue, it glue everything. Ah, got you. Okay, okay. I, I mean, I, I love the point that you made about the you know balancing the digital with you know with the physical in that space. And I think you know, Samantha, the question I had for you about that is you know you're you're building out and have this world where you're mashing up you know not only this digital digital performance that is sometimes you know powered by 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 other humans in the world um what what does that conversation look like in your head and and what have been some of the you know interactions that you've had in this space that you couldn't really replicate in a live theater experience mm -hmm. um could you repeat the question it's sort of like the digital physical element and how that might Contribute like what, what were some of the what were some of the kind of crazy interactions that you were kind of able to to to, to see and, and and witness during you know during these mashups of the kind of live and digital aspects of of the performances and you know some of that stuff you couldn't really do in a in a, in a live theater setting what what were some of the the ones that you kind of can share yeah um, for us it's a lot about media specificity so there's mm. obviously things that you can do in a simulated environment that aren't replicatable in um, real life you know whether physics or though even the way that bodies can be modified and perspectives mm. can shift so um, you know one of the things we use in VR has a really beautiful interplay with scale right as like a kind of foundational element of the medium. So one of the techniques we use is sort of a switch of scale and perspective for the actors. So actors have a very elaborate interface. Um, some of the things they can do in a moment's notice is kind of shrink or grow their bodies. Um, huh. You know, where suddenly you, you know, you could be surrounded by players as a tiny miniature, you know, on the ground and everyone's like, there's um, sometimes even in, um, in Tempest, there's spells, you know, and they're giving you objects and you're like pantomiming with the objects and, you know, partially improving off them. And then the next moment you're like giant hovering over them. <laughs> and it kind of, you can see from the body language of the players, like just like how that like freaks, you know, that m messes with your mind and how it completely changes the relationship and the dynamics of the scene that's happening. And that's a like a short example of something that you couldn't replicate in like the real world. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts about, you know, what that those experiences are that the kind of replicate or are so different than their real life counterparts. I think, Robin, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that as well. Uh, well, again, I think, you know, to uh, to your point, scale is, is really important. And I think one of the super unique things about VR that you don't get in any other digital medium is that it's stereo and something mm. so simple can actually be really powerful when it comes to scale. You know, we also have the ability to shrink and grow. We have these drinks and, and then certain um, <laughs> landscapes or dioramas you can jump down into. But I think the the effect is, is really powerful because you do have this sense that you are, um, you know, just a tiny person in a, in a massive landscape or standing in someone's hand. Um, and I think that 
again, these are things you, you can't easily do in real life and you wouldn't, you wouldn't even think to try and do. So, you know, we're kind of discovering all the time. Everyone in the industry is just discovering all the time, you know, things we hadn't even thought of that are turn out to be really, really interesting sort of interaction vectors. Uh, and I think that it just goes to show how, how young the medium is and, and how much yeah. more there is to learn there. And it's very exciting. I mean, it makes me think of, you know, experiences that I can't have in any other place, like, like Mario Kart live in, a, in an interesting way too. Right. Where, uh, you know, augmented, re augmented racing is now a thing to a certain extent. It feels like you maybe even have made that a new thing. You know, what were some of the kind of biggest challenges you, you found in that space too, where now you have to drive around the legs of cats in, in very small, yeah. <laughs> all those kinds of things. Well, and it, at least it, it, it got me to make couch forts again. You know, I hadn't done that since I was, you know, eight years old, but being able to play around with furniture to create interesting areas for, for cars to drive was certainly, <laughs> uh, certainly a lot of fun. Um, I, I think the main, really the main challenge was, was uh, anchoring the, the AR elements, you know, of course, to, to a real world setting. Um, and uh, I think they, that Velen and, and, um, and Nintendo really did a great job of using not only the gates, you know, which of course are the anchor points for, uh, for where you're driving, but also um, the, the paint of laying out the track the first time that you, you drove through it to, to then subsequently become your virtual track. I remember the first time we saw uh, that in action, you know, sort of the, the paint slopping all over your cart and then leaving this, this trail through your, uh, your real world house. Um, I don't know. It just brought the entire experience home to me. And I think, um, you know, it was, it's playful, but it's also serves a very, very technical purpose. Um, and you know, that's where the, that's where the fun is. It's very, very cool to kind of think back on where we started in terms of this medium and where we've gotten to now. Uh, to see just how far we've come in such a small amount of time has been pretty brilliant. And um, you've all made some fantastic games. And now I get the pleasure of giving out an award, our 24th annual DICE Award for Interactive Reality Technical Achievement. So the winner of our award for this year goes to Half-Life Alex. Congratulations. Hey. Congrats, congrats, congrats. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Thank you. Uh, Carrie, do you have any Thank words very for, for the folks at home? Well, geez, it's an honor. Uh, you know, we put a lot of time and effort and love into this game, just like all game devs do. And you never know until it's done if it's really going to be something that people are receptive to. So we're just super thrilled that people enjoyed playing it and uh, that we were able to produce something of, of really high quality. So thank you. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. Thank you for being here. And thank all of you for, again, you know, putting so much care and love into the work that you've done. I think the experiences that you've brought to the world are, are so unique and, and beautiful and fantastic. And it's really cool to be able to have kind of dug through some of them bef before the show and, and, and get a chance to, to dig into some more after. Uh, so again, thank you so much for, for spending a little bit of time with us here at DICE. And, and we hope to have you all back here very, very soon. So much love to you all. And thank you so much. The Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences is excited to share that the 2022 DICE Summit and DICE Awards will be returning in person to the gorgeous Mandalay Bay Resort and Casino and Delano Hotel in Las Vegas on February 22nd to 24th, 2022. We'll be celebrating the 25th anniversary of the DICE Awards and bringing together industry leaders to share their ideas about the many facets of the interactive entertainment industry. Stay tuned to www.interactive.org and our Twitter at official underscore AIAS for more details coming soon, 
including special anniversary rates. We can't wait to see you again.